Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Alex Kalanokas and this is the Autosport Podcast. Welcome to our latest episode, which is the latest accompaniment podcast to this week's Autosport Magazine. For once, we're not recording just after a press day has ended, and we're even doing this uh, during working hours for a change, which sadly means no accompaniment beverages alongside our chat. But uh, how does Autosport's chief editor, Kevin Turner, feel today after the last time I was on a podcast with you? Jonathan Noble uh, described you as looking rather frazzled. I, I can say that the, the app that we're using to, to see each other, you, you're definitely not, you're looking sharp, if I if I do say so myself, Kev. Thanks very much. Yeah, I, he was right. I did look very frazzled. I was quite shocked when I opened the, uh, when I looked at myself there on, on the laptop. But um, yeah, I subsequently had a, a haircut and a shave. And as you say, it's not a press day. So I'm approximately 15 years younger than I was for the Fernando Alonso one. And as you say, it's during the day. You can look outside and it's daylight. The only disadvantage, as you say, is that there's no beer on my desk. I think, yeah, I think a midday beer on a work day is probably a very bad idea. Say that for when we get back to the office and we can have uh, one of your famous uh, Kevin Turner Well, yeah, apart from, when we, but apart from when we have a, a Kevin Turner all sport lunch, in which case uh, all bets are off. <laughs> oh, how we long for those days, how we long for those days. Uh, but anyway, uh, let, let's get on. The, now, the cover feature this week, it's all about one of Formula One's up-and-coming drivers. It's Williams racer and Mercedes junior George Russell, who's been in the headlines a lot lately, thanks to his starring drive in place of Lewis Hamilton in Bahrain last year, and of course his infamous crash with Valtteri Bottas in this season's race at Imola. But before we get to Russell's 2021 so far and discuss the cover feature, which I wrote, uh, let me introduce my second guest. It's Autosports technical editor, Jake Boxall-Legg. Now, Jake, you've got some experience working with George Russell away from the Autosport fold. So how do you know George? Yet another back in when I was F2's press officer stories. Um, so obviously for that year when I was working there, um, George had just come up from GP3. 
uh, was driving for ART, and um, he was one of the sort of like trifecta of British slash Anglo Thai drivers that were at the top of that year's championship. So it was him, Lando, and Alex Albon were like the main protagonists of that year's title battle. Um, and obviously, you know, my paths have crossed with George since, um, but this has been a lot more of a sort of official capacity rather than the old press officer duties of you know trying to create online magazine content by asking what he'd have for breakfast each day um and how many pillows he uh took to races with him uh it's just the one he's a one pillow uh one pillow racing driver i mean that is the sort of insight you don't get anywhere else isn't it that's just does it not depend on what hotel you're in or that they actually take pillows to help with their sleep what there must be some logic to it he 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 brings he brings his own he brings his own this is one of the few things i learned from uh all of the sort of inane pr questions is that george russell brings one thin pillow to races I mean, it, it does sound like madness, and and to to ask about it for PR is obvious madness. But there is logic to it. Like I know, like cycling teams, like they they bring whole mattresses and bespoke pillows to like because they stay in different hotels every night on like the Tour de France or the Giro d'Italia or something. And it is because sleep is just so important to athletes, and that's what they're they're just trying to minimise the risk of like a bad night's sleep, like disrupting. Like like we all know, like when we've been away to cover races and things like that, the hotels you, you you're never really assured of their quality. Most of them, of course, absolutely lovely, but you, you know, a bad pillow can still make a bad night's sleep. So I, uh, I do, I do, I do follow the logic of that. Anyway, I've gone massively off topic already. Um, but Kev, how far, how far back do you go uh, with George Russell? I just wanted to um, just interject quickly as well, just to say that um, he was actually one of the very first racing drivers I ever interviewed for Autosport. He was ahead of the 2015, the 2015 season where I was covered it, covering BRDC Formula Four and British GT, and obviously he was the reigning champion, having won the BRDC F4, which is now BRDC F3. Uh, in 2014 so I was given his number told to call him up and uh, to help, help to do my season preview piece which was very good and then obviously went on to cover him in that uh, 2017 season when he won GP3 so yeah go reasonably well back with George but how about you how do you know him yeah it really goes uh, back to the end of that that season in BRDCF4 um, I think I did go to one or two of those rounds but really got to know George better when he was a a finalist in what was then the McLaren Autosport BRDC Awards, uh, now the Aston Martin one. At that point, I think he was 16. He was, I think, the youngest. I think he was the youngest finalist that year, one of the youngest ever. And it immediately struck you, really, as, as just how mature he was. And you think, this guy is... this. The, some some years you think, yeah, there are some good drivers here. They, they might make it, they might not. Or, you know, this is a particularly strong year. And I think the the two that really stood out to me in the last, you know, because I'm fortunate enough to have been a judge since 2008, I think the two that have stood out in recent years are, are George Russell and Lando Norris. And obviously it sounds like, oh, yeah, well, of course you would say that because of hindsight. But, you know, I remember having chats with the other judges going, you know, these, these, are, these are two we expect to make it. Um, and, yeah, he was so mature and so on top of it. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, I think he's pretty much maintained that all the way through. I don't think he's really changed very much. He's just added experience, really. Which is which is exactly what Williams say of him in sort of his two and a half years um, at the team. I think we spoke, we spoke to Dave Robson. Uh, I asked him in Monaco about you know how they've they've seen George develop, and that's that's exactly what he said. It's like yeah, he's he's basically the same as he was. He's just more experienced, and therefore you know has, has progressed that bit further. Um, but Jake, what do we make of Russell and Williams so far in 2021? Because it's been an interesting season in that they're they're clearly getting better. 
they are close to the front. They're very far from where they were in 2018, 2019, which is basically what Haas is at the moment. They're like, if you look at the super times, they're like three seconds off the pace. Like it's, it's shocking what's happening to Haas this season. But Williams, is, it's, it's getting better. But at the same time, it's a bit like last year. Great in qualifying, tough in the races. And so far, the, the one opportunity they've had to score points, it all went wrong with Russell's crash. So how are we rating the team and the driver so far? As you say, I've been pretty impressed. Every year, George continues to, you know, elevate that level. And, you know, he went from, I think, one one or two Q2 appearances in 2019, which arguably was one of the, the, the more impressive things to do it in that car, to sort of semi-regular appearances last year and now doing it sort of, you know, absolutely regularly this year. Um, it's just, it is annoying from from that standpoint that they just can't continue to sort of execute in the races um i uh, just the, the car doesn't seem to be dialed in for for, for the longer for the longer stints i've also been you know pretty impressed with the uh with nicholas latifi as well um obviously he goes pretty under the radar he does get a little bit of a bad rap for being you know one of this wave of uh, uh canadian drivers with rich dads if you like but He's incredibly affable. Uh, he's continuing to learn, um, and he, he's getting closer and closer to Russell. And he's he's not ever going to be a great Formula One driver, but um, I think in comparison to his teammate, he's doing a very very good job. So they're getting there. It's just that final push to get it over the hurdle and get a P nine or a P ten or something. That's just kind of what is needed. Yeah, I must admit my um, not not be- belief is a bit strong, but my my just my thoughts about George just wavered slightly during twenty twenty, um, because obviously you know he hadn't scored a point. Not not so much that Robert Kubica had in twenty nineteen, because we all know that was just a crazy race. Where it, yeah, that that's how it happened. Um, but this kind of making mistakes in traffic and the yeah is the car aero sensitive in traffic? It seems to be, but there was no other way of checking that really. And I remember speaking to to Derek Warwick, who's a big George Russell fan, and uh, you know the chairman of the judges on the award. And he's going, "No, mate, he's absolutely stuffing his teammate, and he's doing he's doing everything to be expected." And I was like, "Yeah, no, you're right, you're right." And then of course he got the Mercedes drive uh, with Lewis Hamilton getting getting COVID, and proved the point not only in terms of the level it was driving at, but his ability to race when Mercedes had one of their annual. We quite we've forgotten what to do in a pit stop. Obviously, Bottas had it at Monaco recently. They had a shocker in Germany in twenty nine. They seem to have one one race every year where they just they're absent in the pits, and they chose the one where George was in the car. But that at least gave him the opportunity to then show his racing skills and and overtake people and go wheel to wheel with Bottas. So, um, yeah, I think uh, in the same way that George in your piece, Alex says that kind of just convinced him that yes, he was doing a good job. Uh, because you could see where he's level in a front-running car. I think it did for everyone else as well. We all now know, we know for sure that George Russell is good enough. We just thought he probably was prior to that race. Definitely, and I think just just on on Williams and and you know the the, the sort of the qualifying race results imbalance and pace imbalance that, that that car has i think there's a lot to be said about what's going on with the tires like speaking to the team you know they, they sort of talk of it is it, it remains a sort of pseudo science in terms of getting the tires exactly right i think you saw that in the monaco grand prix like lewis hamilton is not half a second off out bottas and you know finishing seventh when bottas is finishing second it's just like bottas is very very good but we, we just know hamilton is that much better and it didn't all come together with the tyres and a team as good as Mercedes was knocked off its course massively and Hamilton was as well. And I think there's a lot of that going on with Williams. I also think that the pace of the car still is, you know, it's better, but it's not great. And they are still being lapped. And as soon as you have to back off 
and you lose that tire temperature or you go offline and things like that i think it really does does knock the, the, the you know the drivers out of whack in terms of keeping those crucial parameters in play and also remember that um it's it's one thing hanging on to an awkward car on fresh tires for one lap to just absolutely hang it out and, and stick it somewhere up high up on the grid it's quite another to try and maintain that during the whole course of a race as the tires are going off and all that i mean we most most famously this was the yarno truly thing wasn't it you know the truly trained thing but actually really that was just a function of him qualifying the car probably a bit higher than it should and then in falling back into its kind of average pace in the race uh, and I think there's probably a, a, a slightly sort of uh, further back, smaller version of that going on with, we you are know, with with George and Williams, and then obviously factoring in the fact that it does seem to be, unfortunately, it seems to be a car that's a bit aerosensitive, and and it's in a position where it's always, <laughs> if it's ever going to get a point, it's going to have to be in that midfield pack. So yeah, quite a, quite a tricky one. But I think you know, as JBL said, they've moved the team has moved forward a lot in the last two years. So they're definitely heading in the right direction, but they are still, you know, they're ninth instead of tenth essentially, isn't it, at the moment. But very, very close to Alfa Romeo in terms of the, the average gap across the season. It, it really is that close. But I think Alfa, as, as we saw in Monaco, is, has been able to make it happen where uh, where Williams hasn't. But um, um, Kev, you, you raise an interesting point there about, you know, Russell qualifying the car probably higher than it should be and then sort of coming back, you know, um, to where it should be in the race. I think let, let, let's touch on that point in, in a little while because it, it, that, that ties in quite importantly with everybody's perception or, or lots of people I should say lots of people's perception of Russell and his you know performance level and how good he is and um, because what did you make of the feature it's kind of a bit weird for me to to uh, I sort of got to pose the question to you basically, basically I'm saying did I get did I do a good job you know how did, how did Russell come across not that, I'm, not that I'm fishing for compliments or anything but you know some would be nice <laughs> yes you did a good job yeah no I think the oh, um, thank god I think the thing that makes it yeah I think it's one of those cases where yeah, you get you get a good interview and it makes it the article easy to write, or you get a, the, the hardest ones are where the interview just for whatever reason doesn't go right, and you kind of have to end up saying what you want to say around the quotes. And I think that George was just like you said, yes, you, you say at the start of the piece that he seems very chilled and relaxed, and he's just given some really good answers. You know, whether it's talking about where Williams are at, uh, or um, you know Lewis Hamilton staying in the sport, which I'm sure we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, all these quotes are really good. You know. Sometimes you're struggling when I'm when I'm putting the cover for, the cover together for these uh, for these features. Sometimes you look and go, oh, I'm really struggling to find one single quote that I can put on the cover to go with this. This one had four possibilities, uh, um, so no, I think it's a really good interview. You either you either you either wooed him with your questions, or he was just in a particularly good mood. But either way, yes, uh, some some good stuff there. I would say. I'm sure it was a combination, combination of the two, combination of the two. But you're right, I did, I did uh, encounter him in, in a very good mood. It was great being back. You know, obviously we've, we've made a lot of the fact that the COVID restrictions have made things very difficult for us to do our jobs and in terms of getting in the panic and speaking to people. And it's just remarkable what a difference that makes. Like chatting to George in person as opposed to, you know, over Zoom. Okay, yeah, we still had to do the social distance measures and wearing masks and, and everything like that. But it, it just makes such a difference. You just, you just get a better sense of how someone's feeling and, and, and what they're going through. And I do make the point in, in the piece, you know, he came, he came across so well in our chat next to the harbour in Monaco that it, 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 it almost beggars belief that a month ago what happened in Emila happened because that was a really sort of quite a shocking moment. Not the crash. I, 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 you know, I think we have to take the, the crash out of it to a certain extent because it was just a racing incident. It was, you know, he, he, it, he, it would have been worse really. I think if he hadn't gone for that move, it was just unfortunate that it went wrong with hitting that bit of wet 
uh, track as, as, as the track um, and bends around towards Tamburello. But it was what happened in the gravel trap going up and confronting Bottas that even you know, like speaking of someone who's known George for a few years, I just I was just like, first of all, I was like, is he going to is he going over to check on him? Because that fits much more with the George Russell that we all know. But then when they started having the big argument and Bottas gives him the finger, it was a bit like, oh, that's that's a misstep. And then he comes out in the in the in the TV interviews afterwards, and he's not like, "Oh, I hold my hands up." That was, you know, it was a racing incident, you know, a bit. Or he's just it flat out like the things he was saying. You know, would Bottas have done that if if it, if it wasn't Russell he was racing against? Things like that. It was really like, "Whoa, hang on a second here. This this could go wrong for you, George." And it and it almost did in a way. He talks about Toto Wolf giving him some tough love on their flight home from Imola makes the point very very clearly and he said this several times now that things are, are much better in terms of their relationship you know it's, it's in the past they've moved on it's, you know, don't talk about it anymore and, and whatnot but that really felt like oh hang on a minute this could be something that could stop you getting a Mercedes drive in the future George you know it's going to it's going to play on people's minds it's going to be a factor in the decision and chatting to him in Monaco he, you'd almost think that never happened to him it was really it was really really interesting let's go back to your point about 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 the fact that you know the the Williams car he does qualify it very, very high up and then it comes back in the race. And I think there are lots of people out there that sort of, you know, for, for want of a better better phrase, they don't get the hype around Russell. They don't sort of race him because of his lack of race results. What, what do you, what do you, what do you counter to that? What do you, because I think that's, that's, that's not how we perceive him. That's not the, the general feeling that, that, that most people have about Russell. But what would you say to those people that are sort of adamant that he's, he's not very good just because he hasn't got any points in a Williams? Well, I think wait until we see him in a Mercedes. Oh, wait, we have, and he would have won the race. You know, it's... Uh, would have uh, won it twice. I think, yeah, so, I mean, you know, you're always going to have, whichever drive you're talking about, you're always going to have uh, certain people who, for whatever reason, don't think that they're that as good as everyone else says or whatever. Um, I think that we've seen enough now. Like He's won at every level on his way up, uh, sometimes with quite, you know, odds stacked against him at times. I'm sure JBL will remember some of the issues that... Uh, that George had with his car in the F2 season, you know, um, and he's, you know, he's always bounced back. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's, yeah, he's, he's, all, all the other drivers know who the top drivers are. We know that when Hamilton retires, we're going to be talking about Verstappen, Leclerc, Norris, Russell, you know, it's pretty, I, th- I think, you know, you, you, you sort of see it. But I will just, just going back to that Imola thing, I'll agree everything you said, because uh, some people have said that he shouldn't even have gone for the move. And I think that he had so much more momentum that you, any racing driver would have gone to the outside there where Bottas was. The mistake he made within the move was that he thought Bottas was coming across more than he actually did. So he then went further to the right than he should have done. That got him on the wet patch, which then caused the accident. Um, I was very surprised about his uh, his reaction. Um, but I'm not that surprised that he's moved on and so have Mercedes because actually the, way, the reason that Mercedes has been so successful in recent years is because they... They identify a problem, they solve it, they move on. There's none of this kind of, oh, it was your fault and backwards and forwards. And I'm sure Toto just had a very frank discussion with George. George had to think about it and then moved on as well because I think that's how he's wired. So I think he's actually a perfect fit, really. Yeah, he said that they flew home uh, on the same flight together with James Allison as well. And uh, one can imagine a sort of good cop, bad cop situation going on with Toto Wolf maybe tearing into George and James Allison perhaps uh, perhaps slightly more gently reinforcing the same points but that of course is is, is pure speculation and um, another bit another bit of pure speculation I just wanted I wanted to throw in there I just wondered whether the fact that he he is so confident and he, he is talking in, in the way he is has he already got a Mercedes deal it's not beyond the realms of possibility, you know. It's going to we're going to come on to this later on in terms of what what's happening, what what could happen in the future with Mercedes. Obviously, we don't know what's going on, but I don't know. It just it just struck me as a here's someone who's very very at ease 
with himself. I wonder why. I mean, it could it could easily be the fact that you know he's a young racing driver in Monaco and having a great time. That could, that could equally as well be true. But um, but there we go. Anyway, um, Jake, what 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 do you make in terms of um, the part George has played in Williams' sort of recent revival? As you said, it's not massively faster, but it is sort of on an upward trend. You know, lots of new investment, lots of new people being appointed. They're going to be playing that part, but that was all happening even sort of before. Uh, uh, Doralton Capital bought the team from the Williams family that 2020 was better than 2019 so how how much of a part do you think he's played in that? What I think you need to do is uh, take a little bit of a sort of step back to what he was like in junior categories because the way that Mercedes prepared him for life in Formula 1, the way that he worked with his F2 team, that's all very very important with what he's been able to carry forward into Formula 1 and I remember that I think it was like at the start of the 2018 season the ART found you know George to be very very sort of almost exacting, uh, he wanted perfection and nothing less. And they were like, oh, you know, Jack Aitken's so much easier to work with. Um, but come the end of the season and George is the one that's won the title by about 60, 70 points. And, and Aitken, I think he finished like P11, P12 in the championship. And the two have been very, very close in GP3 the year before. And I think it's just that way that George works. It's very methodical and he's not afraid to, you know, keep people working harder if he st- still thinks that there's something on the table. Um you know, you'd go through the paddock late at night on an F2 race weekend because that's 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 how it would be. And you'd still see the lights on in the ART garage and people going through data and whatnot. Um, trying to find that final little bit, especially on like a, a Thursday night or a Friday after qualifying, just to see what you can find for the race. Um, there were lots of different examples of when George had issues and he was able to come back from them and win the title by quite a margin. And he's been able to bring that into Williams. And having spoken to Dave Robson in the past, as I'm sure that you've spoken to, to Dave before as well, Alex, um, they're very, very happy to have him there because he pushes the team. He doesn't do it in a way that, you know, there was that fallout in 2019 where Robert Kubica came into the team and upset everybody, you know, by slagging the car off in the media and whatever. You know, George is able to give them the right sort of push and the right sort of ideas and that sort of thing and when he had that Mercedes driver he was like this has given me ideas that I can take back to Williams with me as well perfect sort of team driver in that sort of sense indeed it's a good point you make there about the Mercedes drive because he talks about this quite a lot that he sort of he basically goes I now know what an amazing Formula One car can do so I know that all these things I'm reporting to you I know that I know that they're true and then there must be a way to get there so it's that that's a, a real benefit of, of Williams having sort of loaned him out because it wasn't wasn't guaranteed that he would have got that secure Grand Prix drive I think there were negotiations had to take place in order to release him to do that because it's obviously a very unusual situation for, for both the teams um, but it has obviously had tangible benefits for Williams and you know he's just able to to see you know to, to, to explain to them how that car should be being developed and, and obviously heading forward into the future but I just wanted to, 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 to say to the listeners what Jake's referring to about sort of Russell sort of demanding reputation which has obviously served him very very well as, an, as a perfect illustration of that you know I think the second season of Netflix's Drive to Survive where they filmed the Williams guys I guess at the 2019 British Grand Prix there's a debrief where Russell as a rookie is basically tearing into the team and explaining about how how awful the whole sensation was in, in I presume a practice session it's kind of made to look like it was the race but it probably probably wouldn't have been and in fact I think Dave Robson almost sort of just goes uh 
okay thanks for that in a sort of a, a sort of wow that was some that was some honest feedback george which is obviously you know what he's like and it's, it's you know it's, it makes really 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 good tv um kevin i think you've, you've you've got a point to raise but also i just wanted to, to say maybe maybe once you've made it i think you've got you, you want you'd quite like to point out to williams why it wasn't there 750th formula one start in monaco <laughs> a week ago well let's do that first um it was i think but there, they've sent out a list. They sent you a list which you forwarded on, um, which claimed that the car that they ran in 1977 was a Williams Ford. Uh, of course, it was a March that Frank Williams had bought and run under Williams Grand Prix Engineering. So it counts in terms of the starts for the team, but I think they're being a little bit cheeky to try and claim that, that was a Williams car. I think uh, I think there are probably some March receipts probably still hanging around with uh, with Patrick Hez and Frank Williams somewhere that would suggest otherwise. What were we talking about before then? I've lost, <laughs> I've lost, you've, you've thrown, you've thrown so me curveball there. Beware the Ides of March. Uh, and the point about being demanding in a team, that that is not anything new either. How many great drivers have we heard that about? That, that's part of, okay, so the way you do it can be quite important. Some drivers are more abrasive than others. And I think probably as you get more experience and you just get older and more mature, you probably get a bit more clever and sophisticated in the way that you, you do that. But, you know, the, the the great drivers are leaders and part of leading is going I need this this is what we need to do to get to here and if you deliver on that if they do that change and then you go out and deliver that's why a lot of the teams they've li- liked working with the engineers and mechanics like working with Fernando Alonso even though he's a pain politically for the team bosses is that if he says do X and I will go faster he delivers and the more often you do that Everyone just trusts your feedback and it becomes a, it, you know, it's a virtuous circle then. So, you know, Alan Prost knew what he wanted from a car. Senna was very demanding. Um, you know, Nigel Mansell wanted very specific setups. We know how important Marcus Schumacher was in his team. So I think that that's just, a, it might make it a bit awkward at times. You're going to have awkward moments where, you know, you do end up with a shouting match. But ultimately, that's what you want as a, in a, in a, in a champion, not just in motorsport, but I'm sure in, in many walks of life and sport. And engineer, I asked George about that Netflix scene uh, sort of last time we did a big uh, cover feature on him in, in last August, and he basically said, you know, it, it sort of alluded to the fact that that is something that he's picked up from from Mercedes. You know, when he was a junior driver there in, in 2018, when he was winning that FT title, obviously he was embedded with the team at races, he's been to the tests with them, and he's seen, you know, how to how to deliver the feedback that's needed to to get the car to go forwards. And I think that's that's a really that's a benefit of that program that he's been on. Well, I'll give you a counter example. Um, speaking to, to Mark Williams, the ex-McLaren uh, uh, engineer, when he worked with Kimi Raikkonen, they tried a particular steering setup. It might have been a sort of a power steering system or something different. And they put it on and Kimi went, well, I, didn't, I don't like it. And I didn't like it when I tried it on my previous team. And he's like, well, why didn't you tell us that you tried it already before we've gone through this whole process of doing it? It's like not enough feedback and demanding. It's like, oh, he'll mention something once. And then if it happens, it happens. And if it doesn't, he just gets on with it. It's like... Yeah, that's all very well being laid back, but if you're not getting what you need to do the best job, that's not that's not good. So, uh, so yeah, you can go too far the other way. Indeed, indeed. Um, well, Jake, I wanted to throw this question at you. Maybe it's uh, I don't know, let's let's see, well, let's see what you make of it. Basically, why is George Russell so good in qualifying? Because it's really really interesting for me when I was going back putting the the sidebar that's in the magazine on terms of. Um, 
Russell's results also all through 2021 so far is just going back and, and watching and looking at a few things like um, for instance in Bahrain the preparation laps for a qualifying lap is go as slowly as possible so you do not hurt these precious tyres or they'll give up tyre life towards the end of the lap whereas in other races Portimao for example it's you've got to drive quite hard maybe for two laps to get them actually switched on and working so that the, the rubber's moving around and you've got that grip but you know that, that that's one part of it I'm sure but, but yeah why do you think he's so good in qualifying? Well, I think I agree with you certainly on the prep laps. They've become very, very important with these Pirelli tyres. Um, it's not Formula One in the past where you could, you know, go out, tear everything out of that tyre and get a lap in. You, you need to be very, very delicate. And I think that's what George has been good at. I'll throw you back to the sort of Hungary 2019 example again. Um, you know, he felt that he got the preparation for that lap absolutely spot on. And that's how he got into Q2 with, you know, that dreadful car it looked awful and it wasn't very good on the track either um but i think there's something that appeals to sort of his meticulous nature in that you need to get every single little bit right you need to get hit that apex you need to hit the throttle at this time various other parameters and things like that and i think that's just something that kind of appeals to him um obviously we know that the williams struggles a little bit in the races um but also you know with with that sort of like uh with that sensitivity if you like but in qualifying there's there's fewer cars around you and you can kind of you have the exp- the space to sort of strut your stuff and express yourself a little bit in that car um and i think you know with the i can imagine being at the sort of back of the grid is a little bit frustrating and it's like that time of the weekend where george can really show what he's got uh, and i think he enjoys having the sort of platform if you like it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy again as well, doesn't it? Because a lot of sport is confidence and it's a mind thing. And the more that George has great Saturday performances and gets called Mr. Saturday and all this sort of stuff, the more he thinks, yeah, I can nail it on. And it just, it, it, yeah, again, it, it just it just builds that momentum and confidence, which is probably why he was so irritated to miss pole against Bottas in Sakia because he thought, oh, I just, oh, he, th- he could see it there for the taking. Uh, and and he didn't do it. And you know, again, you know, these 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 top guys are very harsh on themselves. If they and they'll be honest with themselves and go, I could have done X or Y better. And it's looking for these minuscule margins, which is what which is what Lewis Hamilton has been doing, you know, for years and years. Definitely. Although I do I do think George Pat's being a little too hard on himself there, considering just how close Bottas sometimes runs Hamilton in qualifying. I think they yeah, that's particularly fair. rapid over a lap. And why don't we indulge in a bit of speculation about what might happen at Mercedes and, and several other teams in 2022? And as I say, pure speculation, but that's what's fun. That's what that's what we're here for, you know, to, to sort of to, to, to say this could be the most interesting thing, why it might not happen, what our latest understanding is. And obviously, essentially, both seats are open at Mercedes as at the time of, of recording because Lewis Hamilton's on a one-year deal. Ralph Bottas given another one-year deal. I think he probably Mercedes will have an option on continuing with him. Russell's contract is coming to an end at Williams. Then you've got Esteban Ocon, you know, former Mercedes junior, now loaned out to Alpine, but retains his ties sort of informally in a way. Contracted, obviously, the, the contract with Renault Alpine comes comes first with Ocon. Then there's the, the, the sort of wild card element of there's still, you know, the, 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 even before, the, right up to the start of the season, there's rumours about is Max Verstappen going to end up in a Mercedes if Lewis Hamilton were to leave? I think, first of all, if Hamilton stays and Max beats him to this year's title, can't really see him jumping ship from Red Bull. I think that's, that's I think that's very very unlikely, you know. Even you know even in any consideration. But yeah, I think um, yeah I think basically the, the latest understanding is it's boiling down to a choice between let's assume Lewis stays on. I think he's he's making all the right noises about continuing. I don't think I don't, I'm not I don't think we're expecting a shock 
retirement. Um, I think he probably get the very least wants to see what 2022 is like with the new cars and how Mercedes fits in with there and just what Formula One is like because he's often talked about what's good and bad in terms of the current Formula racing and, and being able to go wheel to wheel with other drivers. So he'll probably at the very least have a look and see how that's going before deciding on his long-term future. But equally, he's he's also talking about, you know, doing a, doing a longer-term deal with Mercedes. So if he sticks around, I think Mercedes faces a straight choice between keep the lineup that's delivered, what, 17, 18, 19, 20, potentially now five titles in a row if it wins this year, double titles with Bottas because he doesn't destabilise the team like it used to have with, uh, with Nico Rosberg. Or does it look to, to future-proof the team by bringing Russell up, even if that means putting him alongside Hamilton, that risks it being a little bit more fractious between the two drivers? I think that's 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 the most logical thing that would happen. Um, and is that, I think also, Kev, I think that's probably what most people want to happen. I think Formula One, the British Grand Prix promoters, you've got to say most fans, and obviously, you know, it's important to consider a sort of British perspective, although, you know, we get endlessly, uh, this is not to do with nationalism. I don't really care about nationality on anybody. And I get accused of favouring Charles Leclerc every five minutes, but he's obviously, obviously not British. But, you know, it would be good for lots of people to see that there's another up upcoming British star in that Mercedes team going on against the, the incumbent. You know, there, there's so many narratives that work. Yeah, I mean, to put nationality ones to one side, you want to see the best young drivers in the best cars and uh, you know and, and having the chance to fight for championships and, and and races so yes definitely we'd love to see fans would definitely love to see George in the car I'm sure and as you say it would massively help Silverstone the British Grand Prix British Motorsport generally but also I think fans like things to be different you know we don't really want the same drivers in the same cars all the time and you know I think Valtteri Bottas is a he's a very good racing driver. I'm doing a little bit of work actually at the moment for a piece later in the year, which is to uh, assessing number two drivers. And really, you want a you, you want to be in the golden zone of you want to be scoring somewhere between sixty and eighty percent of your number one driver's tally. Which any more than that, and you've got two number ones, and you've got the sort of aggro that Mercedes had with Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton. Any less than that, and you've got a Fernando Alonso, Giancarlo Fisichella situation where you've got your number one having to carry too much of the point scoring. Or, and a, a, is, or a Max Verstappen against anybody else who isn't Daniel Ricciardo. Anyway, sorry, carry on. Yes, that's a, at this point, that is a very fair, very fair, uh, very comment. Um, but uh, and Bottas is completely in the golden zone. Like he is, uh, he would hate to hear it, but he is, a, he is one of the perfect type number twos. Um, however. Mercedes got a uh, yeah, so that's the one argument against George is if he comes in and rocks the boat like Lewis did when he joined McLaren and Fernando Alonso was there, and it, oh, that all gets a bit difficult to manage. Um, but Mercedes have got a plan for the future. They can't rely on Hamilton and Bottas being around forever. And Hamilton might just go after twenty twenty two. Do you know what? I don't like these cars or whatever. I'm going to go and do something else. And then you, do you really want to be left with Bottas leading the team? I'm not sure whether you would. Um, even though he's a safe pair of hands. So I would say it's at the point now where you you take a punt and you put George in the car and you let him learn alongside Lewis. I think at this point, Lewis would still beat him over a season, but there would be a races where George would really, yeah, it could get really quite interesting and, and tasty. Um, uh, and George learns alongside Lewis. So... Uh, yeah, I think that that's, you know, I think Ocon looks strong at Alpine at the moment. He's comparing very favourably with Fernando Alonso. So why would Mercedes kind of get involved in that? They can let his career get get to where it's going at, at Alpine. Um, I can't really see anyone else in the picture. I agree with you. I think Red Bull's stepping up this season 
probably helps the Max Verstappen will stay their case, particularly as, let's face it, they're, <laughs> they're going to do everything to keep him there because they can't find another driver to drive that car anything near the same level at the moment. I mean, to be fair to Sergio Perez, let's give him a bit more time. Um, but yeah, I think it's for me, it's a Hamilton-Russell line-up in 2022 at Mercedes. There is another, there's another side to this promotion, although it's really interesting. I noticed that George sort of, they caught himself. He, he said it was a promotion, then he went, oh, you know, maybe a move, which I think is, is more of a, him offering respect to his current team than, than anything else. Um, but the other side of it is is what happens with Williams and its other seat, and also what happens with Bottas. You know, there's there's the, the, the most logical thing, Jake, what, what, do you, what do you make of this? Is, does Bottas, is it a straight swap? Bottas goes back to Williams, or do you think... You know, would he accept that, or, or would he try and, and engineer a move elsewhere? That the difficulty with that is, where are the slots? You know, does it depend on Sebastian Vettel saying, "Oh, I don't really want to do Aston Martin anymore"? I don't know. What, 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 what do you think about that sort of the other side of the Russell promotion coin? Now you mention it, there isn't really a lot of places for Bottas to land if he was, you know, given the heave ho. I, I guess I, I, t- I tell you one place. Why, why isn't he Red Bull's number two? That's just a- that's a very good point. The thing is, I feel like they put a lot of uh, a lot of discussion into last year whether they would keep Albon on or you know bring Perez in. Um, and what's kind of weird is at this stage in time, Perez is sort of continuing where Albon was really, and Alex is probably rubbing his hands together again. See, I told you it was iffy. Um, so I think that Red Bull would. I don't know if they would go again outside of their own driver development squads to bring in a de facto number two or not. Um, especially, you know, Sergio's a race winner in a car that, you know, was probably third or fourth best last year. Bottas, I don't know if he'd go back to... I don't see that happening. I feel like Williams has sort of found this place of, you know if a manufacturer is willing to to pay us a little bit of money, we'll take on one of their younger stars and, and develop them like they've done with like they've done with Russell. Um and, you know, there's a few drivers in, you know, Formula Two that don't have an obvious place to go to. Uh Guan Yun Zhou is top of uh the, the driver's standings at the moment. But if Alpine continues with Ocon and Alonso, then there's no place for him to go. Even though they've got the Mercedes deal for twenty twenty two, which ex- bands you know what they're they're using components wise you know i'm sure they could accept a little bit of money to 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 bring someone else in that, that that's impressing elsewhere um but yeah i, I don't know where bottas could go uh maybe wrc uh, I, just just to, just to be clear i think that bottas would still be an asset to pretty much any team on the grid i think probably ferrari the only team that uh, ferrari looked pretty well set on the driver lineup i think that's pretty good uh, McLaren ditto if Daniel Ricciardo can get on top of the, the car I mean uh, let's, let, <laughs> let's see what happens there but pretty much anywhere else I think Bottas will be an asset with his experience and his knowledge of, of Mercedes um, and what Williams need to do I, I, I agree with JBR I know I, I think yeah, they, they may well take a younger driver but they really don't want to be in the same situation as Haas which is two, two rookies one of whom is of questionable questionable ability I think it's fair to say they have no idea where that car is I mean actually they do we know that the Haas is the slowest car but it's probably not as far as it looks because they've got two rookies learning F1 at the same time as not developing the car so Williams don't want to lose that momentum they've managed to gain over the last couple of years and they've got the extra extra financial clout and they're they're trying to go places I think they could do a lot worse than 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 getting Bottas back I know we say this every year um, but obviously 
the the waltz towards the glue factory is getting ever slower. But Kimi Raikkonen, uh, if he called it a day at the end of the year, you know they could go like for like, finish driver, finish driver, um, Bottas and. You know, Giovinazzi is slowly improving. That could be a very solid lineup going forward. Very, very midfield, but very, very solid. Well, there's an interesting point you raised there, Jake, about bringing teams like Alfa Romeo or, and also Williams as well into play. Is that things might be very, very different? Certainly at, at Alfa slash Sauber next year, if the Alfa Romeo sponsorship doesn't carry on, if that sort of link with Ferrari you know, closer link with Ferrari is, is severed. You know, it could be wholesale changes. It could be it could come back in, under a different name. The Sauber name could return. It could have a different engine partner. Lots and lots of things could be different. So, yeah, I think there's definitely uh, opportunities, but it just needs other things to happen. Whereas if you look at it, things just on paper at the moment, it's like, oh, you know, they, there aren't a lot of slots out there. But good point you make about Giovinazzi. Kev, you and I were talking about him earlier. Not that this is relevant to the podcast, but anyway, he's having an excellent 2021 so far. <laughs> But 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 the actually I really like JBL's idea because that the the caveat there is we don't really quite know where Giovinazzi is because you don't know where Raikkonen is in his downward slope. So it's, it's almost like know, someone made that point to you a couple of hours a, you ago. Did, you did indeed make that point to me. But if you think that Raikkonen was past, we know that Raikkonen was past his best at Ferrari because Vettel was kicking his backside most of the time as I repeatedly mentioned until they got rid of him not taking credit for the driver change by the way because it would have happened much sooner if it's down to me but he's then done a very good job in 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 Alpha he's been yeah he's definitely been worthy of the grid and all the rest of it but how much time is he giving away to the optimum we don't we don't know and that means we don't know quite how good Giovinazzi is now that he's getting on top of Raikkonen so if if you slot Bottas in that car you know this is a guy that can usually qualify within a tenth of a second of Lewis Hamilton normally uh, okay, so his race management and his tyre preservation isn't great, which I think is probably what Kimi does bring them. Um, but yeah, I think I, I do think that Bottas deserves to be on the F1 grid. I think we've just all seen probably enough of the uh, the sort of status quo. Aren't they so happy together, Mercedes? I think we want to see that mixed up a bit, don't we? We do. Well, that's a nice that's a nice way of uh, of uh, bring us back to George Russell, Kev, because uh, we did go off on a, a lovely tangent there. But um, I just wondered, Kev, what did you make of his thoughts about? about Lewis really because I thought it was really really interesting and it really struck me when I read the quotes back through and I was was writing up the feature was that he brings up Lewis completely unannounced I I asked him about his future you know what you know what's the latest of your understanding and then he gives his very 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 long answer and at the end of it he just goes you know I think it's brilliant that Lewis is talking about staying around I didn't I didn't mention Lewis at any point so I just thought that was a really interesting thing that he's thinking about or that you know maybe he wanted to say or had been told to say I don't really know but he just found it interesting so what yeah what did you make of of his points about Lewis I really like that I thought that was really good you know he's basically said yeah he's basically said he thinks it's good for Lewis Hamilton to hang around in F1 all the time he's operating at this very high level he wants to be the best and to be the best, you've got to be the best. And Lewis is the best. Um, and I think that that's absolutely the right attitude to have. Uh, I think it contrasts quite nicely with a certain other leading F1 name recently saying, oh, I don't have anything to prove against Lewis. I don't care if I beat win my first world championship with Lewis around or not. Come on. Of course you do. It's just you, you do want to beat the best. You want to wait for the guy to retire before... Uh, yeah, before you go and win your world championship, and and of course it also help would help if he's in the same car. George will get a very good idea of where he's at and and where he needs to improve, so he can use being alongside Lewis to improve his own game. So oh, I thought his answer was was absolutely spot on, and he's yeah, I I agree wholeheartedly, really. 
I think there's a whole other podcast in analysing the different attitudes of the young up-and-coming drivers. You've got uh, Charles de Clare, who is perhaps a bit too honest on occasion about his own performances. Max Verstappen, who will who will give you nothing about anything, just uh, just just shut that down, single-minded focus. And then George Russell, perhaps uh, perhaps floats around a little bit between the two, but obviously you know gave uh, gives excellent answers. Um, and and in the future comes across uh, comes across very interestingly. Um, Jake, I'm going to throw you the curveball question, which is the exact same question I posed at this. A point of my interview with George Russell do you think he can beat Lewis Hamilton don't think he'll need to um, interesting somehow why is that if George gets the, the Mercedes seat for 2022 if Bottas has moved aside and George gets that seat 2022 will be nothing other than you know expecting him to just sort of learn from Lewis get dialed into a top team obviously he's going to come in and be like yeah start the season go yeah no I just want to learn and obviously all bets will be off because he'll try and beat him um, but I don't see Lewis Hamilton going on much further than that personally I, I obviously I'm just calling it from the outside in but I think we, we're getting to the end of his Formula 1 career now he's not going to do a Kimi Raikkonen and just hang around uh, and collect a paycheck he'll, he's someone who likes his mind to be stimulated and he wants to do other things and if he's not if he doesn't find these 2022 cars particularly challenging, then, you know, he'll go and do something else. Uh, and then in that situation, you would expect George to become either number one or Max Verstappen will come into the team and they'll have to beat each other. Uh, so I, d- I don't think he'll necessarily need to, but he possibly could. Oh, hedging his bets <laughs> at the end there. But, I do, but I, do think that, I do think that raises a very interesting point, actually, is the mentality. Let's say that he, he is Lewis's teammate in 2022. What mentality did he come up, come in with? You know, we're a long way away from Sterling Moss coming in and happy to spending a season alongside Fangio and letting Fangio do all the win- basically Fangio doing all the winning. But I don't think it would, would, would Mercedes allow it because of the, the background with George and Toto, would they allow it to be a Fernando Alonso, Lewis Hamilton, 2007 McLaren? You know, they basically gave away a world championship because they let their established world champion uh, have to fight, you know, tooth and nail with their rookie guy who was sometimes there, sometimes not. And they let Ferrari creep through and, and nick it off them. Um, you know, hopefully Red Bull will be, or or somebody, several teams perhaps will be close enough to Mercedes in 2022 that they can't just let them get on with it and, uh, and have a Rosberg Hamilton type situation. So I think that's very interesting. Does Toto try and control that? Does George sort of play the game knowing that, oh yeah, but don't worry, George Lewis is going to retire next year and you'll be our number one, you know? Or does he just go, well, I've got to prove myself. This is my one chance in a car. I'm going after Lewis. I think that'd be quite an interesting, interesting dynamic. And probably if we're honest, you know, if you're a, if you're if you're a top dog like George wants to be, he's gonna go he's gonna go after Lewis if he gets half a chance. Indeed. But I don't uh, think he's ready to beat him over across a, across a whole season yet. It, it is. I, I just do, one of the things I love about all sport Formula One as well, it really appeal, it applies to is just the the mindset of these athletes and this single minded focus and determination and what they're willing to do. It just doesn't it doesn't compute with what the ordinary person on the street and you know you you or I Kev and, and Jake you know how we think about things of like oh yeah uh, five wins and a comfortable second behind Lewis Hamilton in the 2022 World Championship that sounds excellent whereas George Russell not necessarily the way he'll see it because they're just they just they just they just think about things differently and that sort of sporting competition is, is a really interesting part of sport and, and and the things that we that we cover um Jake do you think Russell's still got a point to prove 
at Williams because he hasn't, if you, you love a pun, scored a point. Um, he sort of he sort of makes the point that you know that Kev you picked up on this opposite to Max. George says that you've always got something to prove, but basically he's not that he's not that bothered if he doesn't score a point because that's just where the car is. He basically says you know if uh, if McLaren score a win that's excellent, but if they don't score a win still not a, a you know a wrecked season i think that's probably the case at williams but you just exchange win for, for for any points i think i think he will i think he'll get one eventually by the end of the year he's not he wasn't just close in imola as well he was very very close in spanish grand prix as well he was you know i think p9 running yeah running around p9 p10 uh, and going after fernando alonso and then uh, i think Williams went a little bit too early with their strategy and it just got to the point where he just didn't have any tyres left and so by the end of the race he was just sliding down the order. I think if everything is done right on the pit wall, I think if everything George is able to feel himself into the race, then you know that that point will, will come, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Um, this season's got a lot more to give. Um, there will be more twists and turns. Uh, there will be some boring races and some where every single lap you're not entirely sure what's going to happen. And, you know if you manage that race right and you play the cards you've got, then Williams can, can get something out of them for sure. Um, yeah. I think it will depend on the, in terms of whether he, he proves his point or not to pick up on your pun. Uh, I think it will depend on the situation. So if he's in ninth place with a couple of laps to go and throws it off somewhere, uh, or has, a, has another kind of safety car whoopsie like he had last year at Imola, then obviously that's a failure. That's him losing the the chance. But if it's just that the car consistently finishes 11th or 12th and they're kind of maximising every week, but everyone else is so reliable and not making enough mistakes that he just doesn't quite get there, then I think you say, yeah, but he's done everything he could. Williams have done everything they can. So it's not a failure. So yeah, I think it depends on the on the context. Really. Like I was saying, he finished behind Kubica in the 2019 World Championship standings, but we all know that he was the better driver at Williams that year. So, you know, context is everything, isn't it? I do always make the point, though, that um, he would have been the one that ended up with the point if he hadn't slipped off the road in the German Grand Prix because he would have finished ahead and it is interesting you know at the very least to think about how the perception of Russell would be ever so slightly different if he does have that point to his name because that's a question that doesn't have to ask people don't have to consider but I mean it was it's also a little bit of a nonsense anyway because they Kubica only got that point because the Alphas were penalised so it's sort of like a you know it's it, was it really a point scoring finish well yeah by exact definition it was but in terms of where they finished on the road it wasn't so anyway Again, wildly sidetracked. Um, Kev, what did you make of Russell's um, response to the, the the one question that you were very keen for me to ask, which was basically, who does he rate from his generation in inverted commas uh, of Formula One drivers? Sort of the, the, you know the guys that are sort of in their early twenties that have come in, they're very young. You know, thinking obviously Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc, Lando Norris. What did you think? What did you make of his answer? Because he didn't he didn't quite bite, but he was still sort of he gave quite a he. good answer. <laughs> Uh, was, um, yeah, I mean, he didn't pick anyone out. He named all the people that we've named already, really, um, which obviously isn't uh, <laughs> isn't a hold the press moment. Um, no, I, I I was hoping that he might give something away, but he's way too savvy and uh, you know to, to to do that. So yeah, he didn't pick anyone out, uh, as he rightly says. You know, he's got to beat everyone. He's got to beat Verstappen, Leclerc, Hamilton if he hangs around. You know, Norris if he gets into a front running. You know, for McLaren improvement continues so he's right he's got to he's got to beat everyone it's maybe the sort of thing that you can get away with asking a driver towards the end of their career or maybe just after then then you might get a, a, an answer but he, he's not going to want to give anyone a boost is he 
because uh, the obvious answer at the moment as well is Verstappen and as you said Verstappen doesn't give anything away to anyone so why should anyone give him anything so yeah it was a bit it was it was a kind of a frustrating answer but it was probably the right answer from where he was sat or stood it was he was he was, he was a quite uh, amused by the whole thing we had a good laugh I said you know you, you've got to leave that sort of nonsense to people like us and he, he agreed that that's uh, that's exactly what what should happen um but Jake what, what did you make just just looking back at the the Monaco race and within the context of you know there is sort of this this new generation serving surging to the fore in Formula One because you know with Hamilton sort of mired in the sort of the middle of the top 10 because of his struggles Bottas dropping out because of that pit stop that lasted a couple of days um what did you, yeah, you know, what did you think of how that ended up with Verstappen winning, Science second, Norris third? Science is the oldest one on the podium at 26. Um, so, how much did that sort of highlight what these new young drivers, or well, they're not even new anymore, most of them. Max Verstappen's been around, Carlos Science, they've been around for sort of five years now. So, but what did you make of in terms of how that generation is now delivering in Formula One? Yeah, they're, they're, they're veterans at this point, aren't they? Um... But that's just the nature of the beast. The drivers are coming in, you know, younger and younger. You're not going to make your debut at 35 or whatever anymore. Um, you know, you're accelerated on this path to, to greatness. You're backed by either the portfolio of sponsors you have or by a manufacturer. Um, but it was fantastic to see, you know, what when this the main figurehead of Formula One for the past few years is out of contention, his teammate is out of contention, what it gives the the rest a chance. Verstappen's obviously been great this season. He's now leading the championship. Uh, Science has sort of flown under the radar a little bit because he's gone into this new team and he's been close to Leclerc, but Leclerc's the sort of the form guy in, in Ferrari. He's been there for three seasons now. Um, well, will have been there for three seasons at the end of the year. And Science has come in and he, he's, he's on the pace and we mustn't forget him either. Uh, I know he's a little bit older, but he's still got some really good years left in Formula 1 too uh, and, and obviously George and Lando raced against each other in Formula 2 before um, and it would be nice to sort of see them pick up that battle again in, in the future um, yeah I think Formula 1's in a really good place at the moment with regards to drivers there's such uh, a good crop of drivers in it um, there's a few good drivers that are coming up as well it's not like the, the mid 90s or the early 2000s where you've kind of got a little bit of a dearth of talent um coming through the ranks you know formula 3000 was dreadful back then um so yeah it, it, f1's in a good place with regards to, to young drivers yeah i mean i'd agree with that but i would also i think it's worth pointing out that the next gen we only call this the next generation for one reason and that one reason is lewis hamilton without him we'd be in the next generation already you know if he'd retired you know nico rosberg style a year or two ago you know we'd be into we'd be talking about verstappen leclerc and russell would probably be in the mercedes Norris, yeah, it's all the same people. They're, the next generation is here. They're performing at a top level. They can all win races. Leclerc has won races. Verstappen's leading the championship. We're pretty sure that Russell and Norris could win races. But the, but they're all being kind of subdued slightly by the fact that Hamilton has decided to hang around and try and see if he can see off yet another generation of drivers. Having seen off his own ones, basically, uh, he's, he's, he's hung, hanging around. And that, I think, is why it's so nice that George says it's great for that Lewis has, has hung around it almost is like well, one of us is surely going to beat him before he retires, and whoever does will be that will get that Fernando Alonso beating Marcus Schumacher thing, and I suspect Lewis would then retire. Um, so yeah, so the the next generation is here; they're just having to deal with the the greatest driver of the previous one who's still at the top of his game. 
And, and also still isn't isn't that old when you think about it. Like Kimi Raikkonen's much much older than than Lewis Hamilton is. But um, but anyway, there we go. I think we've we've probably covered enough uh, enough tangents to be getting on with. Um, but just before we do go, Kev, what other things in Autosport magazine this week should our listeners be checking out? Well, we're into the season. Uh, that's properly into the season now, where we've we've got lots and lots of sort of race reports and things. So. Um, I guess the main things to flag up uh, in uh, in the issue with uh, with George on the cover is obviously we'll have the Indy 500 report um, and uh, Matt Q will also be reporting from Senegal on the Extreme E event there. We had a call with him uh, earlier on where he seemed to have lots of vehicles going past his tent or whatever it was he was sitting in, yeah. um, but they didn't weren't sound, electric ones. They so did assume, not sound electric power, did they? they? It sounded they very didn't noisy. sound electric at all, but, but once the electric uh, cars get running, he'll be reporting back uh, from there. And then uh, we've got our usual bumper uh, section uh, on national you know, UK racing. I think we've got something like 12 pages of reports. So, yeah, lots, lots happening um, from, uh, from the weekend in terms of uh, race meetings. Excellent. Well, everyone, that's our podcast for today. But before we go, here's what you can see right now on autosport.com+. There's Matt Q's half-term report rating for every Formula E driver from the 2021 season so far. And remember, not the 2020-2021 Formula E season because no races took place in 2020. That's a little point I like to make at all times. Anyway, uh, also on autosport.com+, you've got Jonathan Noble arguing why Monaco still deserves its place in the Formula 1 calendar, plus a selection of reports and news from the UK national racing scene. New Autosport Plus subscribers who sign up today can use the promo code PODCAST during checkout to save 50% off their first payment. Go to autosport.com slash plus and click sign in at the top of the page, then use promo code PODCAST for that 50% discount. Thanks for listening today and we'll be back soon. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. The Venture X card from Capital One gives you premium travel benefits. Perfect for seeing Taylor Swift The Eras Tour. Presented by Capital One. Oh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and ten times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.